The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning in. Got a great guest today, Nicole Sahin. She's the CEO of Globalization Partners. I reached out to Nicole because she seemed like the type of individual who really wants to make the campsite better than she found it. And I was right. And I really love her business. It's a unique business. Her current mission is to make it easy for any company to expand into any country as easily as they hire team members in the United States. I know personally in 2001 when I was a director of international operations for a company here in Wichita. It was a challenge when we were trying to hire an employee in our China office, our Shanghai office. It was a nightmare, actually. And her business cuts through all that red tape, makes it easy for a business uh, to hire an employee. And it's a really unique business model. I wish I would have known about this 16, 17 years ago. Her current focus is building the world's most competent and trustworthy global PEO to meet the standards of the company's Fortune 500 clients. She led Globalization Partners to a ranking of number 33 on the 2017 Inc. 500 list of fastest-growing private companies in America and number 6 on the 2016 Inc. 500 list. And she's been named Entrepreneur of the Year in New England and has won numerous awards for breaking the traditional corporate mold by building a nationally recognized company culture. And that's what I love about Nicole. She understands culture. She understands what it means to celebrate and uh, elevate the people that you're accountable for. She understands, uh, she augments her strengths with other people around. She augments her weaknesses, I should say, with people around her who are stronger in other areas. And she just has this great view of life, a great view of business, and a great view of entrepreneurship, and a great view of leadership. I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. This show is brought to you by my online leadership course, Legacy Leader Blueprint. It's a perfect solution for an organization that's looking to introduce or augment their leadership culture. Uh, it's 20 videos separated into four modules, five videos in each module from leadership fundamentals, leading yourself, leading others, and advanced transformational leadership topics. And for $349 a seat, it doesn't break the bank. It's perfect to grab a group of five to ten of your high performers, have them watch a module, and then in between each module, you'll get one and a half hours of individual facilitation and group coaching from me, live, either in person, depending where you're, if I'm close to you, or through Zoom video conferencing. Go check it out at doseofleadership.com and click on the Legacy Leader Blueprint menu item, and you can watch a video so you can see exactly what's inside uh, the membership site and the course, and you can find out all the details and testimonials about the course. All right, here is the great conversation with Nicole Sahin, the CEO of Globalization Partners. Well, Nicole, I'm so excited to have you on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. 
I'm excited to talk with you. I know um, I came across your profile and your business globalization partners about a month and a half ago. And I said, man, I'd really like to talk with her. So I'm so excited that you accepted. Let's talk a little bit about the business because uh, it's so unique because I, it's personal to me because I remember, I guess it was about 15 years ago and I had to hire um, a woman to work in a Shanghai office and it was a nightmare. So talk to me a little bit about your unique business. Thank you. Yeah. So at Globalization Partners, what we do is we help companies hire people internationally in other countries, anywhere they want to hire, over 150 countries, quickly and easily. So essentially, whenever a company normally were used to hire employees in other other countries, they would have to set up a branch office or a subsidiary in that country, register for payroll, figure out all the local employment laws, and navigate this incredibly complex legal tax and HR framework in order to literally just hire even one person. And usually it's a salesperson. Our clients just want to hire somebody to sell their American products into other countries. So instead of every company figuring out how to do business in each country according to that country's laws, we contract with our clients from our U.S. company and hire whichever employee they want to hire in any country and put that person on our already existing payroll in that country. So from the U.S. company's perspective, they're just doing business with another U.S. American company, according to our laws and tax jurisdiction. On the back end, we're paying somebody in China or Brazil or Saudi Arabia or wherever the client wants to hire that person. And we deal with all of the HR, legal and tax issues associated with having employees in foreign countries. So the client can hire anyone anywhere in a couple business days, just as long as it takes for us to add that person to our local payroll. That is a brilliant idea. Like I said, I mean, that's the exact situation that I was in with the company that I worked for. And it was an absolute nightmare. It just took forever. I don't know how much money yeah. it cost, but I know it was tens of thousands of dollars to get it going. Uh, it was a nightmare. Exactly. What a brilliant Thank idea. you. Well, yeah. thanks for saying you could have used it. I mean, that's, that's generally <laughs> the response we've had in the market, which is we actually have clients that come onto our website and they're like, oh my God, it's it can't be this easy. Yeah. Um, but it is. It is. And and it's really fun, I think, for us to create a new, um, you know, create a paradigm shift, help companies go global faster without all the headaches. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I remember even literally, you know, kind of the old uh, saying is like, there's got to be a better way. I remember saying that uh, endlessly. It's like, this, got, this cannot be this complicated, but it was. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So how did you, st- yes. how, how did you stumble into this idea? I mean, how did it all begin? Thank you. Well, okay. So um, when I finished my MBA program, I, um, I definitely have always been an entrepreneur and thought, okay, I'm, I want to spend, you know, three to five years in management consulting and just really get a strong foundation and, and experience with a lot of different companies. Um, and I jumped on board with Man in a Dream at that time. They were, you know, I was the sixth employee on board of a consulting firm that wanted to help companies figure out how to navigate all the legal tax and HR issues globally. And we would drop into companies. We grew, first, we grew from six people to 200 in six years. So wow. it was a very high growth company. But, um, and it was fun to build the company. And I learned so much about building, building a high growth business from that journey. But what I also, what the core essence of that company was, we would drop into companies like Tesla or big universities and help them figure out their their legal tax and HR issues internationally. 
So for example, we had a client who said, look, we need to hire two salespeople in, in 10 different, each two salespeople each in 10 different countries. And we want to get these people on board as quickly as possible. So we'd say, okay, well, in that case, if you want to hire two people in Brazil, we have to set up a company for you in Brazil. It's going to take you a year to set up the company and maybe $60,000. But after that year, you can, you can set up, you know, we can run payroll for you. And similarly in France, China, Singapore, the whole nine yards or every, all these countries, we would go through the process of helping our clients set up their companies around the globe. So we'd send a proposal. Here's everything you need to do. If you sign here, I'll go set up your companies for you and all the manage all the employment and compliance risk for you. Um, and basically, after doing that for six years, I thought, my God, I've set up so many companies in Brazil and so many companies in China for so many different clients. If I could just set up one company in each country and give all my clients access to that company, it would save them a tremendous amount of time and headache and, and frustration about going through this process again and again, and I'd have a much more scalable, efficient business. Wow. So I left. Um, I, I terminated my employment with that company, which I really loved, and it was very hard to leave. Um, my husband and I sold everything we owned, wow. and we traveled for a year. And during that year, I met with business partners in 24 different countries and laid the foundation of the business. When we moved back to the United States, my husband started a separate business, totally different field. Um, we landed in Boston, and uh, I went live with the company website one year and one day after leaving the prior company. That's amazing. So you got hooked up with High um, was it High Start? You said was the was the startup that uh, High Street Partners. High Street was High Street the Partners. Sorry, company. yeah, yeah. So High Street Partners. Prior to High Street, were you fascinated by? kind of the human resources, legal compliance, payroll, tax services prior to that? I mean, was, was that the, the kind of path you were going down or did, or was high street, um, did high street introduce you to that? Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting question. So before that, um, I, I had been getting an MBA program, but the, uh, gone through an international MBA program at Monterey Institute of International Studies. But before that I had, um, started a yoga business in the Caribbean Right. And ultimately, I had always been a traveler and always loved international, you know, right. working with people across different cult cultures and communities and um, was really fascinated by just anything international. When I, I, I um, thought I was going to be an anthropologist and realized that I didn't want to just study people around the world, that that wasn't going to be satisfying to, to me mm -hmm. and just decided to, you know, just needed to pay the bills, so to speak. And it was right after, this was right after I graduated college. It was right after 9-11. The economy wasn't good. And I thought, oh my God, if all I'm going to do with my life is teach yoga, because it was very hard <laughs> to find a job right out of college, right. I'm going to go to the Caribbean and teach yoga. Right. So I moved to the Caribbean, opened a um, business that was, that was basically teaching yoga uh, and in leading retreats in the Caribbean for yoga professionals. Um, but after about a year, a year, year and a half of doing that, I thought, my God, I don't want to live in the Caribbean forever. And I'm a really entrepreneurial business person, but I have no idea how to actually run a business, you know, the accounting, the finance, the, the infrastructure of a business. You know, I have all this excitement about being an entrepreneur, but I don't know how to actually run a company. I think I need an MBA. And so I moved to California and, and got an MBA. So it's funny how these stories are always told backwards or uh, it all makes yeah. sense in hindsight. It but, does. Yeah. I mean, when you're in the middle of it, you're like, where in the hell am I going? But what I find, <gasps> what I yeah. find, what I, what I like about this and what I find fascinating 
is that it was your passion for international travel, for studying different cultures, for uh, plugging into different parts of the world is what um, is, is initially the is initially the foundation, right? And then here it is. Yes. There's this kind of gnawing that you listen to, and doors open up opportunities, and maybe there are multiple doors, but you cho- you choose to go through them without knowing where it's going to lead. That's that's the pattern that I'm seeing anyway with your life. I don't know what, what do you think when you hear that. It, it's absolutely true, and I think you know, like you said, um, you know, I, first of all, I think that the, the hardest times in your life, you know, finishing college and having been a straight A student and um, and, and not being able to get a job right after college because, of, I mean, I realize now it was the economy um, right. and probably the best thing that could have happened to me. And yet at the time, that's extremely difficult. And in terms of, I think that for me, following my intuition is something I always encourage people to do because right. it's really scary. It's really scary to quit your job that's well paid, you've built a company and you love the company. And just say, oh my God, I know this isn't working for me anymore. But wow, I mean, by I mean, my parents were like, thought I was completely insane to quit my job um, before starting this company. But it was the exact right thing for me. And I think that I guess following your intuition is is really hard. Um, but in my experience, I don't know. I think there's something about leaping leaping off a cliff and hoping you'll sprout wings. Usually, I find that the wings come. <laughs> Yeah. And uh they take you pretty far. I you have to take the leap in yeah. order to let that happen. I think if you're going to lead a life of significance, and I know that this is, it's been a journey for me and to the point now where I'm not afraid to take leaps. Um, my challenge is uh wanting the wings to come out sooner than they you know, you have to probably bounce off the cliff a couple of times before they come out, right? I think I think it's inevitable. Yeah, that's true. I think it's inevitable. A good I, way of saying it, you know. And and um, but you have to take the leap, otherwise, you're kind of relegated to. I, I, I guess uh, I hate to be critical of people who don't leap, but um, and, and maybe everybody's leap is different. But I don't want anybody to end up on the deathbed with all those ghosts of regret walking around, looking at you, shaking their head. You know what I mean? And exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, my daughter, my oldest daughter, I got four of them. My oldest is um, 20 and she's kind of, she's struggling a little bit. You know, college doesn't turn out like she thought. And I told her, I said, just be patient. You've got a lot of time. Just, you know, and I keep telling her, just dive in, find something. And I think still in her mind and I, and I, and I, I, something I deal with on a daily basis, like how did they get to the point where they think, and I guess it's a lot of it's cultural and what we're fed, but it's like, you have to do this thing, get this degree, do these sets of things for your life to be complete. And I'm just like, no, don't, you know, you just got to go out and experience and, and leap. Um, and that's kind of what I mean, seeing what you did. So I, I, how, how do I get my daughter to embrace that kind of mindset? Yeah, I don't know, because I don't know if it's, I don't know if that's intuitive to everybody or if that's everybody's life path. You know, I mean, I think think there was something key about what you said in order to have a big life. I don't think anybody steps out and says, I'm going to have a big life, or I don't think everybody does. Because there's so many people who, I I don't think there's anything wrong with it or or less valuable about it, but just have, you know, have, um, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. You know, maybe their, their big life is having a really beautiful family or, you know, like the things that seem normal. 
but um, yeah, that are really rewarding and, and powerful. That's so, a great point. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and I don't. But want- I think that if if your intuition drives you in a way that's totally unconventional, that's what's really hard. And or like to be an entrepreneur or to um, do something that's just completely strange compared to all the people around you. I mean, I grew up in St. Louis and. I don't think anybody else from my high school really left left the city as far as I know. And so like it was really unusual to want to go to the Caribbean or want to go travel around the world. And I mean, in fact, I think my dad was quite upset with me because I think he thought, my God, you know, I've got you through college and you know, <laughs> I'm a son of immigrants. And, and why, why can't you just get a job and settle down and act normal? Um, it it can be really hard to listen to your own intuition against the wisdom of your elders in the entire society. Yeah. I mean, it's a delicate balance and and you're right. I don't want to come across as saying, well, if you don't, you know, take the leap and which means the, and the leap can, is personal for everybody. The leap could be, well, I want to stay here in town. I want to raise a family. I want to be a stay at home parent or whatever. Right. I mean, it's exactly everybody's leap is their own, their own personal, but I think that following or taking the time to listen and kind of follow those um, gnawings, if you will, I think is is that's whatever's making you a little uncomfortable, whatever that may be. I think if you follow through with it, something significant's going to happen on the other side. That should be the barometer, I guess, is my point. You know, and what you talk about is intuition. Exactly. I mean that that you should. I love fo- that. Yeah, that should be yeah. the the barometer. And uh, exactly. However, you know, you need to play what your strength, you know, if I walked in and told my family, you know, I want to go be, you know, my dream has always been to be the backup drummer for Van Halen. I'm going to throw everything away and do that right now. That's not smart, right? You got to play in your, I think you got to play to what your strength is, right? What what you're genetically disposed to. Does that make sense? I mean, would you agree with that? Exactly. A hundred percent. Yeah. So I'm curious. You talk, you mentioned your your parents, your father, because uh, I'm always curious how these uh, foundations were ingrained and what did you see growing up? What were the examples that you saw from your parents, from from the teachers, mentors, people you looked up to? How did how did this kind of mindset get ingrained in you? Well, I think my parents are awesome. I mean, they're they're just really incredible people, and I think they were always very accepting of me. Mm-hmm. being who I am and very loving. Um, and they actually didn't, they actually didn't insert their opinion too much. They they kind of respected me and let me be who I was, even if they didn't, didn't agree with what I was doing. They generally kind of let me go as long as my grades were high. <laughs> so I think that was kind of the unspoken, unwritten rule. You know, you can come home at two o'clock in the morning, as long as we think you're reasonably safe I think they were kind of hoping I was safe, <laughs> and, right. but as long as your grades are high, the proof's in the pudding and we think you're going to be all right in the end. So we're just going to hang in there with you. Um, but yeah, I mean, actually I, I can't believe my parents. I mean, there was a time when I wanted to be an anthropologist, I went and lived in the highlands of Northern Guatemala with a family. Um, and it was like, gosh, I don't know, less than 10 years after a major civil war ended. So it was a tough wow. country to be in. And th- for some reason they they didn't like, I don't know, put up an armada at the airport or anything. They just said, okay, you know? And so I think um, letting me be me and and not criticizing me too much, even though it was undoubtedly hard, um, 
really helped me. They were really supportive. What did they come? You, did they immigrate from here? You said, are they, uh, did they? No. Um, so, so let's see my mom's family. I will say both my parents are business owners, uh, were business owners. And my dad is really finance focused. So I've always had, like, I really like numbers and I think that they're both business people ish. And like, just my mom's a really strong person. She's kind of a gentle person, but also very, very strong and gets things done. Um, but my dad was the son of, let's see, his grandmother, his grandparents immigrated. And, um, so I guess he was third generation, but it was, his grandmother was really very close to his family. And there was this immigrant mentality of if you work very hard in the new, you know, in the old world, you could work really hard and never quite make it in the new world. If you work really hard, you can make it. Right. And his family was quite poor growing up, um, and kind of rough and tumble neighborhood. And, and he always, you know, just that immigrant family mindset of work really hard, put everything you have into taking care of your family because, you know, the new world has such an amazing opportunity was always part of his mindset. And right. I think my, um, my grandparents on the other side, my grandmother was the sixth woman in the in the country to join the Navy. Oh, wow. And so, um, yeah. So I think maybe I'm not sure. Maybe that's where I get my entrepreneurial or adventure <laughs> side. But, um, yeah. Well, all that foundation has got to bleed through, the, you know, all through the story. You know what I mean? It becomes the fabric of, of, of the story of the family and becomes an integral part of you. You can't help it, right? I mean, so I, I love that, that – um, kind of history there. And it sounds like your parents, you know, my parents were kind of the same way. They were, um, they weren't as strict as some of my friends' parents were. And it seemed like the, my friends' parents who had, you know, a really iron clad household, they were the ones that were very rebellious. Whereas my parents seemed to give me a lot of responsibility and I felt that or in, I, so I didn't want to disappoint, you know what I mean? So it's like the more freedom they gave me, the more I was careful with it. I mean, not that I didn't make mistakes, man. I made a whole bunch of them. I did a lot of things. <laughs> I did a lot of things that, that they never knew that I did, <laughs> that I shouldn't have been doing, but like we all did. But I think I just remember them giving me that um, sense of accountability made me more accountable. Does that make sense? Yeah, Absolutely. And I think that bleeds into – I'm curious. The reason why I'm bringing that up is like I'm wondering, is that how are you from a leadership perspective? Is that how you run your business? It's My sense is you do, but I'm just curious of like what is your leadership style? How do you how do you run global globalization partners? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, wow. That's a really interesting tie-in. I never really thought about that. So, yeah. I mean I think that I lead the company by setting the vision – really big. Um, I mean, I've always said we're going to be a billion dollar company and we're definitely on track to do that and that we're taking over the globe and that we don't just have a mission of making it easy for anyone to do business anywhere, but really that our mission is also to help, you know, that we're at the forefront of one of the coolest trends in our, in our generation, which is globalization. Right. And why I think that's cool or interesting and, and intriguing from a personal perspective is that we play a role in helping people interact across cultures. Um, for that reason, I always insist everybody use video conferencing technology and let people see our faces um, and let our clients see their fa- our faces and, and encourage that level of interaction between our clients and their global workforce. By helping companies 
um, hire people everywhere quickly and easily, they do so more and with increasing frequency. And I think that companies doing business around the globe and people means people doing business around the globe with people from other countries. And that there's really no better way to empathize with people around the world than to work with them every day. So for example, um, you know, when our clients have Syrian employees on the payroll in the Middle East, and these are people that they work with every day, what is one of the biggest humanitarian crises right now, um, the, the Syrian civil war, you know, it's it's hard to say like that's something that's just going on in that part of the world and they really need to get their government together because you see a person with a family who's really taking care of their children, you know, shows up to the Christmas holiday party, makes sure that they say Merry Christmas to you and, and take care of uh, and respect your culture and you respect their culture and that this really facilitates people collaborating across the globe as colleagues. Um, which often also extends into friendship. And I think it's really cool to be part of that. So I try to set the vision for my team that like we require excellence and and um, that what we're doing is really big and cool and important. But, and try to set that vision and then let them go do it and run it. But then I also do keep a close eye on the details because I think it's really important to run a business that is well run and takes good care of its clients and its business partners as well as its employees. I love that you said that. And it's absolutely true. I mean, I've said that time and time again, I think the key to having any decentralized or the key to having a, um, a large vision come to fruition is that you have to maniacally, and I don't use that word lightly, maniacally communicate what it is you're trying to accomplish. And the, and the, I love that you said it how you know it was big right there's something huge you know we're we're going to dominate the globe we're going to do this we're going to try it. and what's exciting about that is when i heard you say that yeah as if i was an employee with you i could see how i could wrap my arms around that and once that's the power behind what you did i mean if, by communicating that now i can wrap my arms around it now i feel engaged right and i think a lot of times organizations miss it because they don't feel Oh, we're just selling, you know, importing plastic bird feeders from here. Well, somehow you have to communicate that you're part of something bigger than yourselves. And the globalization thing, what you just communicated is like, yes, I can put my arms around it and then turn them loose, let them kind of figure out how they're going to get there. But at the same time, you're kind of watching, making sure everybody's getting things done in their individual sandboxes, I guess, is what I heard you say. But uh, anyway, I just love what you said. Exactly. I think you're spot on. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So how did how did you intuitively come to that? Because I'm telling you, there's a lot of senior leaders, a lot of CEOs that don't get that. They think it's kind of all about them, and they they're the smartest ones in the rooms, and they have all the right answers. You kind of seem like a person that is, hey, if I'm going to be successful, I got to have some really smart people around me. How did how did you intuitively fall into that kind of mindset? Because I'm telling you, it's kind of a rare rarity in some of these businesses. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I, um, I'm not sure, but maybe just from experience, because I have to say that, like, with my team, and this is partly why I respect my colleagues so much, but what they come up with on a regular basis is so far right. beyond what I can conceive of. Like, in terms of technology, I was always nervous to hire a CTO. I have a vision for tech, but I'm not, a, I'm not necessarily a techie in the weeds. But what my CTO comes up with on a regular basis is just 
awesome and mind blowing. And and thank God for her because we wouldn't be here. We couldn't function as a company right now if, if we didn't have proper technology infrastructure at the rate we're growing. Um, and similarly, like I know I'm not a great, you know, something I can lead, but leading is different than managing. Right. And my management style is so hands off that I, I need a really strong management team around me to actually make sure that things tactically get done in the details because um, I, I can do it, but it's not where I need to be now. You know what I mean? Oh, I know. Exactly. And so, um, yeah. So I think that I'm just really grateful. Um, and, and I've learned from my team as I go. I love it. I mean, it, it, another key point that I got out of there is the self-awareness piece. You seem extremely self-aware of who you are, what you're good at, what you're not so good at. And again, it's surrounding yourself by uh, people who are smarter than you in certain aspects and letting them flourish. I mean, I, I don't know why so many people miss the boat on that, but you, you seem to get it. And you're so right. I can tell you how many times I've been in leadership roles, and the more that I kind of turn loose, I've always been shocked and amazed at uh, how much more they came up with than, than what I could come up with by myself. You know, it's always a pleasant surprise when you turn turn the vision loose to them, you know, explain to them what you want to accomplish and why and leave the how to them. They usually blow you away, in my experience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what's next for you guys? I mean, it just this is so exciting. 2012, we're five years into the business now. What does the next five years look like? We'll be a billion-dollar business in five years. And um, I think the level of growth that that entails is a lot to keep up with. But we're, we're also I – mean, we're definitely leading the charge and capturing the market. But I think that the best is, yes definitely yet to come. I mean, we haven't even scratched the surface. I would suspect that um, a lot of people who are listening to this podcast think, wow, I've, I never knew that service even existed. And so we're, we're really at the point now of um, figuring out how to get the word out now. And yet we won number six fastest growing company in America two years ago. And last year we were number 33. So wow. as quickly as we've grown, I know that, you know, the rate of, it's only going to get faster and more, intriguing and exciting and fun. And I'm really excited about that. That is exciting. Were you the first one that really tapped into this or were there others? I mean, I am naive to this. I mean, like I said, I had some personal experience, but when I saw this, I'm like, wow, why isn't anybody doing this before? Maybe there are other people doing this, but um, what does your competition look like? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's some companies that, um, that are kind of piecemealing things together and, and there's been more entrance to the market certainly over the last year and a half. But my sense is, is that we're, we're the only ones who are really building out a like really top of the line global legal infrastructure. And it's really important and it's really hard. So for example, next year um, there's some data compliance laws coming into effect in the U in the, in the European union, which a company that, um, breaks those laws uh, might be fined with up to two to four percent of their global top line revenue. That's not two to four percent of their profits. That's two to four percent of their total top line revenue, which is huge. Yes. And we, you know, us building out our systems and technology and legal infrastructure to meet that. Um, I think we're just really, yeah. There, there, we do have some competitors, and yet um, I'm really happy with where we are in the competitive landscape because I know my team is. Like I said, they're they're really in the details and making sure that we build out the best product that that can exist. 
I love the fact too that um, I was looking at your website and your management team is, is all women. Is that a conscious choice? I mean, I love that you're doing that, but um, tell me some more about the mindset behind that. Right. Um, our executive team is all female. Our management team is definitely more gender diverse. I did not actually do that intentionally. Um, I did what many people do, many entrepreneurs do, and many CEOs do, is which is when you're growing a company as quickly as you can, you just hire the most, the most brilliant people you know who are in your network. And my network happened to have a lot of strong professional women in it. So, um, so anyway, I did that, uh, and and yet I do have one C-level position that. So we're all all the women are all the C-suite. Uh, executives are female. Um, I'm proud of who we are. I mean, I'm not, um, I mean, it's really fun that, that, that is the current circumstance, but I have one role that I'm trying to fill now. And I definitely, it's a CFO role. Um, I definitely, I don't care whether this person is male or female. I, I would prefer a more diverse, um, executive team, but not just gender, but also people of color. Um, but I'm not going to make my decision on that just as I hadn't before. I'm going to hire the most right. competent and qualified person I can find. Well, and that's, but, um, I will, yeah, diversity is really important throughout the organization. And as we've grown, you know, those first few hires were just hire the best people I knew, but now we really had to make a very conscious decision to try to hire people of color as well as men and women and, 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 and other genders, hopefully, um, throughout the organization as we continue to grow. Well, and, and I don't want to come across as like, oh, well, that was a um, a gimmick or a ploy. I don't mean that. I'm sure you hired the most competent. I mean, I would assume that. I mean, it is kind of a weird question because no no one even thinks anything of it if you have an all-male uh, executive team, right? I mean, if I was running a business and I had That's a true. bunch of all-males, no one would say, oh, I noticed your, <laughs> I noticed your staff is all-male. Right? <laughs> so it is kind of a goofy question for you. But I, I love – I guess as a father of four daughters, I bring it up because I'm always trying to um, – find examples for my daughter to, you know, cause I, it, to me, it's almost like I, I've worked for some great, some of the best leaders I've worked for in the, ha, have been women. And it was because it was almost like, um, gender's not even an issue. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, we, we just go to yeah, work and gender's exactly. not even an issue. And it's like, when we make gender an issue, that's when things become all weird and, and, and backwards. I don't know. I, I totally agree. And yet, um, Having done it myself, which is to build a non-gender diverse team, I will say it's really easy to hire people that look like you because <laughs> right. you feel comfortable with them, right? And and I and they're in your network, so um, it, it is actually hard, you know. And I think it does take conscious effort all the time. And um, I know, you know, Boston is really has a really strong community of women who are trying to improve diversity. Um, within corporations at the C-suite and at the board level around the country. And they definitely call people out. Um, they call people out if they have a, a non-diverse team. And I, I consider myself guilty of the same <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, we'll continue to try to work towards that. But at the same time, I think it, it is kind of fun. We, we, we happen to get a lot of press about it. So well, it works both ways. Well, I think you're uh, an absolute uh, fascinating example of common sense leadership of following your like you said your intuition and taking the leap you know letting fear kind of be your barometer all the things that we talk about here on the show i think you're a great example of all of that and i'm proud to call you a member of the dose leadership tribe how can people 
learn more about you, get in touch with you, connect with uh, your business? Um, how can they, how can they connect? Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, anyone can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Nicole Sahin and the company name is Globalization Partners. And I'm always, I love to hear from people. So um always open to getting to know new people and would really appreciate the opportunity. I'll have links to all this on the post. Nicole, I'm so glad to have met you. I look forward to staying in touch with you and uh, possibly collaborating in the future. And um, guys, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really, I really enjoyed speaking with you. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. Go to richardryerson.com or doseofleadership.com and fill out the contact page and reach out to me. Let me know where you're at your leadership journey. Also, if you want access to my brand new online leadership course to help become a better leader, go to LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. Fill out your email and you gain access to a free 12-minute video that will reveal the top secrets of leadership and also show you how you can gain access, exclusive access to my online leadership course. That's LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. Hope to see you on the inside. Thanks for tuning into the show. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.